Um, good morning, everyone. So <clears throat> we're beginning the series on Genesis today. So I've got a bit of a unique job in that um, I'm not actually preaching on a particular passage um, or even really on a particular theme. If anything, my theme is interpretation. Um, and interpretation just simply means working out the meaning of something. Some of you might be more familiar with or familiar with the very technical theological word for that, which is hermeneutics, um, which theologians like to throw out to make themselves sound clever. Um, but all it really means is working out the meaning of something. And so I'm not going to tell us, we might hope that I'm going to have like, here's how we read Genesis. I'm not going to tell us it exactly because I don't believe that there is necessarily an exact way. And if there is, I certainly do not know it. Um, but I'm going to hopefully just talk us through some things that are really important to consider when we are talking about biblical interpretation um, and some things that are important for us to think about when we approach a text like this. So I'm going to introduce Genesis as a book, give it a bit of context, uh, talk us a little bit through the themes, and then just think a little bit about what we can learn from how we approach this um, and some things to consider that can help bring us together as a church as we unpack it um, and deepen and broaden our understanding of God as we unpack it as well. So I'm going to do a bit of a teaser trailer today, sort of hint on some of the more exciting stories. I've seen the lineup of people who are speaking, so I'm very excited. Some people have got some really tricky uh, text. Is Sam in here today? Where's Sam here? Maybe not. He's away. He's got a really fun one. Look forward to his. Um, <laughs> Uh, but we've got stories in Genesis, um, cosmic creation stories, mythical beasts, demigods, that sounds, um, apocalyptic uh, tales, earth-destroying events. We've got murder, incest, betrayal. Um, it's a pretty, pretty dark and murky and yet epic story. Um, and I'm really excited for how people are going to unpack and, and find meaning in all of those different stories. So what I'm really doing today is trying to set us up to think, okay, this is a really interesting book of the Bible, but it kind of feels a bit ancient, kind of feels a bit odd. How on earth can it have relevance to me today, living my faith um, in the 21st century, living my faith here? Um, but I'm going to start by saying I love Genesis. This is my absolute favorite book to talk about. Um, and I think it's got a ton of amazing, amazing, profound, foundational ideas which help us understand the gospel and help us understand our faith. When I um, teach at school, this is the first thing I teach kids in year seven. Um, and it's the first thing I teach kids before I teach them anything else about Christianity. Because I just think to really, really understand how radical and how exciting the Christian message is. And how beautifully woven together the Bible is as a complete piece. Genesis provides us lots of the answers um, for why those two things are true. So I'm going to try and touch on that. So here are some basics. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Um, the Hebrew name for it is Bereshit, which means in the beginning. It's literally the first line of the, of the text, in the beginning. The Greek Genesis um, means origin. If we, we know the word genetic or genes, it's from the same word, this idea of origin, where we come from. And so that's what Genesis is all about, beginnings, origins, the setup. Um, for the rest of the Bible. It is one of many genres of the Bible. Um, this has come up before, but the Bible um, 
is taken from the word Biblia, which means little books. Um, it's an anthology piece, and it's got 66 different books in that were written by dozens of different authors over a period of 1,100 years. It's a big text that's been put together over a long period of time, and it's got a variety of genres, including stories and narrative, poetry, law, history, wise sayings, um, letters, ethical advice, visions of the future. And the reason I'm highlighting this is because when we come to read the Bible, we have to take this into account, this idea that different things want to say um, different things in different ways to us. And that is exciting. That is a good thing. One of the themes of this sermon is that the challenges and complexities and nuances of biblical interpretation are an opportunity and something that is exciting. It's not something we need to be afraid of. One of the exciting things about reading the Bible and getting into the Bible is that it challenges and broadens and complexifies our faith. If we're sat there thinking, I've got it all figured, I know what I believe, I know what the Bible says, I've got it, um, I'm right, I'm feeling righteous in my knowledge, I'm feeling proud of myself, then hopefully the Bible's going to challenge that. Um, and we're going to come out feeling a little bit smaller, but hopefully with a bit of a bigger faith and a bigger understanding of how big our God really is. So, um, Genesis, in terms of when it was compiled, now, dating of texts is something that is kind of a bit of a mythical art. Everyone talks about it like, yep, it was then, it was written by this person, we know this, we don't know this. Um, I have a historian for a husband who likes to remind me that actually the things we think we know about the past, we really don't know a lot about the past at all. These kind of academics come out and say, yes, well, I can see from this archaeological evidence that this is true and this is true. And largely, we've got an idea, but we're kind of poking around in the dark. And the same is the case for Genesis. The general consensus is that it was probably, the bulk of it was written about 3,000 years ago. Um, but potentially, there were other smaller stories added later. And the Genesis that we have today as a book with 50 chapters divided into verses was probably put together and finalized um, by a group of experts of Jewish law between about 600 and 300 BC as a final piece. But the first bits were written about 3,000 years ago, and it was written in Hebrew originally. It forms part of the Torah, which is the Jewish book of law and the first five books of the Bible. The other books are Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And these are famous for some of the kind of most epic stories that we may or may not have heard of or seen um, DreamWorks versions of um, or Andrew Lloyd Webber versions of um, in Moses. Uh, we've got the Jews coming out of Egypt. We've got the 10 plagues. We've got the 10 commandments. We've got the Jewish people in the desert. Um, we've got the 613 laws given to the Jewish people. And Genesis can, itself contains some really famous stories too. We've got Adam and Eve, obviously, Cain and Abel. We've got Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel, Abraham and Isaac, Joseph and his brothers, um, Sodom and Gomorrah, and much more. There are some really, some of the most famous biblical stories that we know about are from this part of the Bible. So there are 50 chapters in Genesis, and it's divided into two sections, Genesis 1 to 11 and Genesis 12 to 50. And I think we're going up to 12, aren't we, in this series? So we're going up to the hinge point. 12, there's a shift, and that is where we are going up to. So Genesis 1 to 11 is all about big picture, the creation of the world and God's larger plan for humanity. It starts with creation and the introduction of the Bible's main character, 
God. And he's sometimes called Elohim, which is uh, more like our word God, a bit more impersonal, a bit kind of describing a being. Um, but there's also Yahweh, which is God's personal name um, that Jewish people give him. This name, if you don't know, is an acronym um, from Hebrew letters, which come from the burning bush scene. When Moses says to God, um, who are you though? What's your name? When I go and try and set the Jewish people free, who should I say sent me? Is basically what he's saying. And God says, I am, I am, I am. Um, and those three phrases in Hebrew, if you turn them into an acronym in Hebrew, the most close word we have for that is Yahweh. It's a bit of a weird kind of, there's a few steps there, but that's what it means. And that is the personal sacred name of God in the Bible. And he, at the beginning, is seen to be gently crafting some sort of cosmic chaos described as deep, dark, endless water into the beautiful and precise world we live in. An interesting note, there are lots of ancient creation stories. Almost every um, religion, whether it's still alive and kicking today or whether it's an ancient religion that's died out, has a creation story. But what's interesting is that the vast majority of them um, are actually involve kind of death or chaos or explosions or destructions or people kind of like spewing out of things by accident or as a result of something quite violent um, and yet here in Genesis is God carefully um, and peacefully crafting this garden and crafting people deliberately we didn't spring out of something by accident which is how most stories um, say say we came from or we sprung out of something not very good um, God deliberately and crafts us we are the highlight of his creation and so we know in this story, there is going to be a whole talk on this, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but we know in this story that God creates these creatures called Adam, which means he, human, and Eve, which means life. And he places these creatures into this paradise. Um, and unfortunately, we know this doesn't last very long. Uh, the humans decide to go against Yahweh, and they are eventually pushed out of the paradise into a world which is characterized and shaped by their selfish decisions. And the name for this selfish, these selfish decisions is sin. And that is characterized by their separation from God and their casting out into this world. The next few chapters of Genesis 1 to 11 detail the spiraling of humans into chaos, um, into a world that is characterized by violence, jealousy, power imbalance, and destruction. And it does this through some kind of big stories, but also some stories of individuals who are picked out to highlight these ideas, some pretty epic poems as well. Again, good luck to the people who are doing the next few weeks. There's some great stuff in there. Um, and the most famous is Noah. That's probably the most famous story in this section where God gets to a point where he is grieved to see that the humans just will not um, spir back, spiral back to a place of goodness. They're just getting worse and worse. And so he makes the decision to unleash that chaotic water that he first kind of put away to create the world back into the earth um, and destroy everything. And he saves one family who, like Adam and Eve, walked with God, so they have a closeness to God. Um, but unfortunately, even after that, Noah becomes overwhelmed, cynical, and dies an alcoholic, um, which is, again, not a, a great end to that section. Genesis 12 to 50, we see a shift, and we zoom in on one family, Abraham um, and his family and his descendants, descendants being his children, their children, their children, and, and so on. 
And God focuses attention on this family and makes a promise, saying he's going to use these people, as flawed as they are, to bless the rest of the world. He says, I'm going to use you to bless the world. And the rest of Genesis details Abraham's immediate family, his son and then his grandson's life and their family, which again is full of the same selfish decisions. decisions. But what we see here is God being faithful, present, patient. And it kind of ends with these 12 tribes who were Joseph's brothers, and they form the basis for the rest of the Old Testament. The rest of the Old Testament is about them, what they go on to do, the tensions between them, and how God interacts and reacts to their decisions. Um, And they set the stage for the rest. So why is Genesis so exciting and worth a series? Well, firstly, because there are some really brilliant themes in Genesis. Firstly, is God and his presence on earth. Yahweh, or Elohim, is introduced and is the driving presence for all the stories. One theme we see, and themes and patterns are really important to understanding the Bible. I think it's really worth, you know, we kind of zoom in in, in preaching, but it's really worth doing a, a complete read-through of the whole thing. Um, the Bible Project is an excellent read source for this. They've got a little intro for every book and a kind of sense of the pattern. And it's really great to get a sense of these themes and these patterns that begin in Genesis and shape the beautiful complexity of the rest of the Bible. So we get, we get God, we're introduced to his presence. That is given to us very, very physically with him walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. Um, and humans flourish when they connect with God and rely on him and they self-destruct when they don't. If you want to sum up the general broad theme of the Bible. That is one of them. God, Genesis sets up the idea that God makes his creation lovingly and he wants the best for it. And he basically spends the whole Bible listening, responding, guiding, promising, fulfilling, even though human creatures uh, continuously are stubborn, unreliable, selfish, and cruel. The second thing Genesis introduces humans. Um, The creation narrative, which spans the first three chapters of Genesis, sets humans apart from other creatures. There's this phrase, which is one of my favorite phrases in the whole Bible, which is the image of God. Humans are made in the image and likeness of God. They reflect his character, they represent his rule, and they are given the task of continuing his creative work and continuing that work um, in the garden immediately and into the world. The second part of Genesis talks about humans being made out of clay and being given this breath of life. We are given something that sets us apart. And what happens to this part of us, this image, when we sin, is a central theme throughout the Bible and helps us understand why the New Testament is necessary. God's plan all along is to bless our image by restoring our relationship with him. And this story is told in a thousand different ways in the Old Testament, how each thing we do, each spoiled relationship, damages and shapes us in a negative way all the way throughout. But the exciting message is, as we know, is that the New Testament says God fixes both by making himself in the same image and restoring us from the inside out, um, which is the kind of amazing, exciting drama of the second part of the Bible. Another theme is families, tribes, and lands. How do we relate to each other? Who are we? Where do we belong? Where are we going? A central theme to Genesis. Most of the stories in Genesis involve a person trying to claim a right 
right or get to a place or have a child or compete against a family member. And there's this rich picture painted of human relationships and how difficult they are. And a picture of, of this desire to have a home, to rest, to belong, to return to that place with God. And again, these are all unpacked in a thousand different ways. The fourth theme that I'm going to talk about, and the last one, is covenants. Now, covenant is a word that's worth knowing because lots of the Bible is about covenants. And the word covenant means promise. Although it's a bit more intense than a promise, it kind of traditionally meant like a legally binding promise, a promise that you full-on commit to. You shape your behavior around this promise, um, and it goes forward and shapes your relationships with each other. And there are five in the Old Testament. Um, First with Noah then Abraham, then Moses, and then David. And the first four promises reiterate this original promise to protect and bless Abraham's family in order to bless the world, to provide them with a kingdom, with a safe place to live so that they can be prosperous. The first promise is a little bit different. And this promise is a new covenant that will change. And the shift here is that the whole world will be blessed and a new eternal kingdom of peace will be set up. Another word for covenant is testament, um, which is why Christians see the first part of the Bible as the old or first covenant or testament, and the second part as the second covenant or testament. So what can we take out of these stories? And I think this is where we come to this idea of interpretation and what meaning do we take. And I'm not here to say um, there's a particularly right or wrong reading of this, but some general things that I think we need to consider. Sometimes we come to interpretation with anxiety, with worries, that if we're wrong or someone else disagrees with us, that's a space for division. Um, We begin, I think we have a natural tendency, I think we can't help ourselves, and this is a really important check. Um, We tend to sort of say, well, I believe this list of things, and so I'm more right or um, my faith's better and you don't and therefore there's a difference there and and working that out is really challenging Um, and that is partly why there are about four and a half thousand denominations of Protestant churches in the world (laughs) because people couldn't work it out um, and so they set up their own individual church and I think we can all agree that um, continuing that trend of sort of separating off because we believe one thing different Um, is maybe not the best approach. And I think one of the things I love about this church and the reason we have this beautiful diversity of speakers is that people come up and bring their meaning. We all know one thing's important. We know the gospel's important. We know that Jesus loves us and that gospel is radical and liberating in more ways than we can ever understand. And so interpretation is exciting. It shouldn't be something that makes us afraid. Um, And I think we need to hold those two things in tension. We need to hold in tension that we need to have a faithful interpretation, that reading the Bible isn't about picking out what we like and rejecting what we don't like. But we also need to hold in tension um, that there isn't necessarily this kind of list of correct facts and if we've got them we're better and we've done it better than other people. Um, Those of you who are at the student weekend will have realized I talked about this a lot. I really do believe increasingly that being a Jesus follower is about holding these things in tension. We have a tendency to snap to a particular way and then that becomes our gospel. But the gospel is our gospel and everything else is about holding things in tension in the light of that belief. And so 
Um, I'm going to try and sort of tread that line and talk a little bit about some things that we should consider. I think what's really important to say as well is that we've got one amazing gift, and that is the Holy Spirit, who guides us and helps our interpretation. We don't have to rely on ourselves to come to the right answers, because we have God who has promised to us in the Holy Spirit, who will guide us and help us read this Bible and this text. The other two Abrahamic faiths, which are Judaism and Islam, treat their physical texts like God itself. The Torah is a 20,000 pound document that stays in the local synagogue for everyone and only certain people are allowed to touch it. The Quran has to sit on top in the highest place in the room. Both of those texts are not allowed to be translated into any other language other than their original language because there's this fear that if you translate it, you lose the meaning and then you stray. The Bible is the word of God, but who else is the word of God? The living Jesus, who gives us a relationship with him. And so the Bible is a tool, but it's not something to make us afraid or to limit or make our faith smaller. Our relationship with the word is our relationship with God, and the Bible is there to help us unpack those ideas. And that is really, really important. I think this is actually something that Catholics um, have a really interesting um, approach to, because in a Catholic service, the entire emphasis is on communion. That's the high point of the service, rather than the Bible reading. Um, and there's something interesting about that that maintains a sense of mystery. Every time you have communion, you can deepen your understanding of God. And I think that's something to, to remind ourselves of. The Bible is not something to get to the bottom of. That's not the point of this. It's not a Sudoku, okay? There's, I love Sudokus, um, but it's not a Sudoku. Each page doesn't have a correct combination. Each book doesn't have a correct combination. We will come to it with our own lens and our own experience, and we will draw something new and exciting and meaningful, meaningful from it every time. People will live their whole lives reading the Bible again and again and again and still find in their last days that there is new exciting stuff to be found. Um, Paul says that we see the world through a glass darkly in heaven when we are close and intimate with God again. That's when we will see truth. That is what truth is about and the Bible helps us in that way and that's really important. I think it's worth saying, this is one of my favorite phrases that I teach kids, is we're not, we don't want to be pick and mix theologians, okay? We don't want to be pick and mix Christians where we have our worldview and we go to the Bible and we pick the bits out that we like and we leave the bits that we don't like. The Bible should challenge us. Um, there's a really beautiful quote which says that Genesis is um, about building a home, not a house. It's not a series of instructions about how to build a house. It's a narrative and a story about how to build a home. And this is particularly important when thinking about Genesis. And I think we're all holding this thought in our minds is what should we take from Genesis? But I think we need to ask ourselves, what is really the important bit here? Is it how many ribs adult humans have today? Or is it the idea that God intimately breathes life into a lump of clay and calls it human and says it loves, says God says he loves it, and here we are. Should we be more concerned whether snakes had legs in the past? Or that the human choice to eat from the tree of knowledge, um, what that tells us, that, that this idea of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that humans choose to eat from it, what that tells us about human sin and human decisions in our relationship with God. 
We should accept that we never come to the Bible from a neutral ground. We come with our particular assumptions and beliefs, baggage from our culture, upbringing and background. And again, this can be a gift because it can enable us to see the Bible in a particular way. Each person who speaks in this series will come at it from a different perspective because of their unique situation, and that's great. But what we also need to hold in tension is that we will come to it with assumptions. We'll want to read it in a particular way because we place values on certain things. And that will cause us to misread and overlook. Believe it or not, the Bible has been used to justify the most horrific things in history because people have misread and overlooked and twisted. And we always need to come to the Bible with humility and with faith. And we need to hold the gospel in the center. Hold everything up to the gospel. Hold everything up to what Jesus says and read it in faith. Finally, and I said this at the beginning, but God is bigger. Sometimes we get panicked if we hear an interpretation we don't like. Sometimes we think it attacks our faith if a new piece of information or a new theory comes out that challenges what we believe. And I think we need to think about that. How big is our faith? Is our faith in God bigger than all of that? God is the champion of the universe and his ways are mysterious and beyond what our knowledge as an individual, as a collective species, will ever be able to understand. And I think reading the Bible and the challenges it provides should be an opportunity to broaden and deepen and make our faith bigger. I think discussion and debate are great. I love it. Um, some of you might not enjoy that. Um, but I think discussion and debate and getting into the text um, is really, really, really important and exciting. You know, coming to it together, sharing our different opinions. But we shouldn't move from that to judging other people because they have a different interpretation um, and telling people you're only really a Christian or you're only really welcome if you have these particular thoughts and these particular approaches. We are a gospel community. We're not a clique and we're not a tribe and we're not a club. Come to the Bible with humility and an open heart and a readiness to learn. Use it as a chance to question and grapple with your own assumptions. Take the plank out of your own eye. So I think I'm going to leave it there because that sort of sets us up hopefully for a series of really, really exciting weeks. Um, but I think I was, I was kind of thinking, what's the takeaway here for people? And I think it's that idea of God is bigger, the gospel is more radical. Um, we're a diverse community and that's beautiful and that's brilliant. And Genesis is hopefully going to help us unpack all those ideas and deepen our understanding of them. And I'm super looking forward to it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>